You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to The Noble and Bruce Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome to another episode of The Noble and Bruce Show, hosted by Ball is Life. I'm your host, Bruce Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today we're back with another episode. Uh, we have Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics in the building. Grant, thank you for taking your time to spend with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, just excited to be on the pod and let's talk about a little convo about the season. What's going on this year? There we go, man. Uh, for those Good who to have you, for those who are listening to audio, Grant's wearing a Tennessee shirt, so he's obviously ready for March Madness, which we uh, we can touch on later. Um, I went to the University of Texas, Grant. So Rick Barnes, not the biggest fan of Rick Barnes, but that's for another day. Um, I wanted to start <laughs> off, man, by by I noticed you're from Houston, Texas, but I, the internet's not always accurate. So I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, I was born in Houston, did not spend much. I think I was there for three years as a kid. Got it. Okay. Okay. So according to the internet, your mother worked for NASA, which is why I'm assuming you were in Houston. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool, cool. Awesome. Cool. So I just wanted to kind of set that from there. I'm from Houston. Uh, I'm a big Rockets guy, so anytime I see any Houston connection, I make sure to spam it. But um, right. man, let's just let's just get right into the season. So last night, tough loss against the Mavericks. Um, you know, you guys have been playing very well lately, very very well in the year 2022, making a mid to late season surge to really kind of solidify yourselves back amongst the contenders. Um, seems like it's been a couple of years since the Celtics were kind of back there, where most people, including myself expected them to be. So uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about, about the loss last night um, and then what you guys got moving forward? For sure, yeah. So loss last night, I feel like uh, you look at it when we watch, we watch film, you're like, definitely should have won that game. We held them, I think, 92 points and then I think, or 95, and they won off the suspension then with E3, but the whole game we had missed, I think, According to analytics, we were saying like we were supposed to win about that game by like 18, 20 points. So, uh, as much as you want to like look back and be like mad at what you did and like maybe we could have done this differently, like it was just a matter of we just didn't make shots that night and we just got kind of bounce back and move forward. So, we weren't, we're not too stressed about that. And then this season, like, our really has been turned around because of our defense. Like I said, the holding that team good, a great offense with Luca, especially Dinwiddie and those guys to what 95 points. Uh, just Big time. Other than that third quarter, I think they had 30-plus in the third. The rest of the quarters, I think they had less than 20-plus points. So 
24 points. So it's one of those things where we, we've established ourselves just based on our defensive identity, as well as just the camaraderie of, of the group that being able to not only play with each other on the offensive end, but get get along well and have a great time off the court as well. Great. It's, it was follow up. Zach, I'm sorry. Hold on. I just want to follow up because he said something interesting. Um, one of the big raging debates on Twitter, on the internet, whatever, with basketball these days is analytics versus non-analytics. And you just mentioned, you said the analytics said you guys should have won by 18 or so, and you lost by three. Uh, as an actual NBA player, do you have any insight into what fills in those gaps, right? Analytics says you should have won. Clearly, you should have won, won by big. Clearly, you didn't. Um, what kinds of things contribute to the to the fact that you did not win? Right, it says despite like what the analyst- the normal numbers of what you would shoot. So, like, um, like based off of both teams, how they pl- how the course of the game went, um, based off the shots that you created for your team or with your team. So, I think it's like a, amount of open or some like jump shots, something like that, percentage wise, and like all the different factorials of what we normally would the shots that we take, which normally would make that we haven't. So, like myself missing three open threes probably chalk that up and make one of those probably same with our shot like certain shots that you would attribute to like analytically like you should be making and um some of the shots they made where it's like those are shooters that we expect to not make shots like maybe like a dorian finney smith or guys of that nature they make four threes or five threes in a game it's not what you expect so sometimes just like who's feeling it that night so um, as much as analytics play into a part, you also have to have the actual understanding of what the game plan was and and what you guys expected. So that's what I feel like it's a mix of both. And um, there's a controversy because they're like, okay, if analytics is so consistent, like how is it shown? But it's been consistent of what what we've our games have been like this year, and we don't really talk about it much, honestly, because at the end of the day, we lost the game, so you got to chalk it up as a loss. But for us, it's more so just looking at it where it's like, okay, this is why, what are the reasons why we lost and where could we have been better? And uh, we just got to do a better job of adjusting to what teams will do to us in the future, whether it's Blitz and JT and JB, making sure they get the ball out there, be able to play, make, and create good shots out of it. Grant, that game was one of the most grinded out games I've witnessed from you guys and Dallas in general. I mean, two pretty great flowing offenses i mean the last couple months here and it hasn't been just your defense i mean you haven't scored below i don't know like 105 i mean i'm looking below 100 in two three months even it's it's been a long long time i mean what is it just missed shots or what's that like being in a game like that because i knew it was happening early on i mean the shots weren't falling but it just seemed like an afternoon matinee game you know sunday game and uh, it was like a perfectly KG game, too, you know, that grinded out defense. So it's pretty ironic that happened, uh, like a 90s basketball game. But at what point do you realize that the whole game's going to kind of be like this? And did you think it was just all missed shots or pace or, yeah, what's, what's it like being in a grinded out game there? And kind of slow, but at the same time, like, we're, the game was junked up in the first place. Like we were like, it wasn't like teams where we were having traditional defensive sets. Like we were playing against double teams most of the night with JT and having like get off the ball of him. Like they would just come out of nowhere. So things of that nature where it's like just junk the game up. So you're trying to get back into the rhythm of the flow. You could just tell the team wasn't in it. And one of those things where it's like same way when I look back to that Indiana game where you miss, if you miss three straight threes on three offensive rebounds, 
your team is probably gonna have a rough night. Like it's one of those things where it's like one of those typically falls down and you move on and get back on defense, you keep playing. So like those type of scenarios where like you create a lot of great opportunities and sometimes the shots just don't fall. And like it's one of those things where uh as much as you would like, some of those games have to happen. And then you just get right back on track. You you watch them and you're like, okay, did we really lose this game? And like do we have the biggest like what were the biggest issues? Some of that still to improve, but at the same time, what can what else can we attribute to it? Like what else can we look at and should we change anything? I mean, you've been in the league three years now. Is it ever you think because of an afternoon game or a certain time that like that shit just happens? Like it's a scheduled, grinded out game. Like I feel like sometimes uh, teams go into it. You might have a little sluggishness in our afternoon starts, like because you still have to get a feel of them at seven o'clock versus playing at three or one or twelve. And it's something that's just like in college. You look at some college games when they have an early game, early tip, you're like, okay, this game's going to take a little bit to, for everybody to get their rhythm or flow. But it ends up happening. So I, I think that third or fourth quarter, you kind of saw a little bit more faster pace. But we also had free throws and everything else. So it was slowing the game down. So it was one of those where it's like, okay, this might be just like a grinded out tough win or tough loss, you know? Versus other ones, you're like, okay, everyone's in a flow and a rhythm. Like you look at that Brooklyn game, I think it was like a 130 to 100. 20 something game or 100, 120, 115. Like, it's one of those where it's like, oh, they're in a rhythm from the start. And this is going to be like a, a battle because guys are going to make shots. Guys, it's a matter of who not gets the stops, but also who can consistently keep this up. So, Grant, um, moving forward, man, you guys have the Warriors, Kings, Nuggets, Thunder, Jazz, Wolves, Raptors, and Heat to round out the month. Kind of a balanced schedule. I mean, obviously, you're going to have tough games with uh, the Warriors, the Nuggets. Maybe maybe Zach's Timberwolves, Utah and Miami and, and Toronto all present challenges. And then maybe you'll get a couple of uh, relatively easier ones with uh, the Kings and the Thunder. But you guys are in position if you if you continue you know, on the path that you're on, you guys are in position to really close in on a top three or four spot. You're only four games out of the first first place. You're only a game and a half back from Philly for the two spot. Um, so can you kind of speak to the confidence and just the overall aura vibe, you know, approach? level of focus, all of those kind of cliche terms, but how it relates to you and what's going on inside the locker room as you guys kind of head down the stretch to close. For sure. Um, in regards to especially the stretch, we knew this March uh, month was going to be competitive. Uh, we were we were talking about it prior. We were like, this is going to be that month that you're, you're going to have to make or break this team. And we're excited for it because we, we don't back down from competition. We know this is the playoff race moving forward. And Honestly, we were just super pumped to play these teams because this is where you kind of like make your mark and show that you're competitive and contender. So um, going to the playoffs, we don't really look to seeding much. We just kind of like take each game as one. And we know that especially this next stretch, you have a Warriors team, a new look Sacramento team. You have OKC, who's, who's been up and down throughout the year, but has has beaten some great teams and also lost some bad games, but they've also beaten like the Nets and other teams of that nature. And then you have, have like Denver, those are just our next four who are some of the top teams in the West. And then you go down to the East, you have the Heat and those games in the back half. And you're just like, okay, this is going to be, it's going to be fun. And we, we know we match up well with, with everyone and we would take, we would go to war with each other no matter what. So uh, it's just one of those things where, we're prepared and trying our best to take it night by night and not look towards the future, whether it's playoff seating, whether it's matchup, whether it's anything, we're just focused on the the day to day. Wait a second. You're talking like you've 
thought about the schedule in advance and you understand like the road trips. And so it's not just a night to night thing. You're, you're planning in advance, like the, the teams you got in the outlook you have. I, I do it. I, I do it just because it's not, I love basketball. I keep up with scheduling. I keep yep. up with who's playing who. So like I do, do my best to know who we're playing next, but also just focus in on the team that we're playing now. So like Golden State, this team is going to be different because Draymond comes back. You have a healthier team. Like Andrew may not have been playing well recently, but when Draymond plays and he played there, he's a completely different player. Oh, same, with Steph, same with Clay. Like it, they're still finding their rhythm. So it's going to be good to be able to play them at the Chase Center too, another crazy home environment. So um, it's all those things that you kind of attribute. Same with the Sabonis uh, Kings, and hopefully they're healthy when we play them as well. So. It's it's just exciting to to see these these games moving forward and continue that. I love it, man. I honestly don't hear of too many hoops heads anymore. Seriously, like I mean, our last so many guests, Roosh can Roosh can attest to this, but um, a lot of guys just don't watch the game a ton much anymore. It seems like, and yeah, I mean, there's plenty of them out there, but I mean, guys, we've talked to. I mean, don't live and breathe the other the rest of what's going on outside of their their job at hand. You speak to the addition of Derek White to the team uh, because it seems like to me that the roster needed some type of spark off the bench that it was not getting, uh, especially in terms of just kind of scoring and then occasional being just being able to handle the ball, maybe not like a, a traditional point guard, but just being able to have the rock in their hands. And Marcus Smart was kind of, in my opinion, riding the fence between being a starter and then continuing to be in that bench role that he used to be in. And it just wasn't really clicking or working. Um, and it seems like the addition of Derek White has really changed things and kind of put some balance to that roster. So are there any comments that or anything you've noticed since adding Derek White to the team that you could? I feel like a little bit of it was, and I'll speak positively, especially about Derek, just because of the type of person he is, the type of player he is, the amount of value he brings both on the defensive offense, off, off on the side of the ball, but also earlier in the season, like, a lot of a lot of times we weren't healthy, so it was hard to kind of understand what rotation were lineups looked like. So I remember when we first started to stretch and started the win streak, it was with Jay Rich and those guys, and we still had that same pop. But that's when we had Al back. We had our original start at five. We could play those rotations, and then with the addition of Derek, it changed our team a little bit in terms of how we how we kind of adjusted in terms of like maybe not having to uh, have Dennis instead of Payton and stuff of that that nature, but. Um, he, he, he brings so much value because just not the type of player he is, but the type of human being, he's such a, a valuable piece to this team just because every single day comes with a positive mindset attitude. He's joking from the get go. First day we met him, he was lighthearted and everyone from the San Antonio staff that had been with him before said, we're going to love him. And they were right. And he's been such a great guy. We've gone multiple dinners. We've gotten together where we've all just kind of like been able to connect and get to know each other. So um, it's very, very, very valuable thing to have a, a kind hearted and light, light-minded guy like Derek on the team. Who are you closest to on the team you'd say, or is it a pretty tight knit group overall? I feel like we're pretty tight knit more recently, especially more recently with this group. Uh, this group has done a great job of just trying to get to know each other better, kind of breaking it down, breaking down barriers. So, but if anything, like I've 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 had relationships with most of these guys for the past awesome. two plus three years. So um Jason's my guy, Aaron's my guy, Tice, like I remember Tice is my vet. And now him coming back and seeing me perform and play the way I am now to 
different the difference between the two is kind of it's kind of amazing just to laugh and look back to when back when i was a rookie he was telling me to shut up and shut the heck up and all this stuff versus now he's like keep going grant like keep shooting like that's it's kind of it's kind of cool it's cool to see it's funny too because tice came over from my houston rockets and uh, i forgot to mention him when i asked the question about Derek, but yeah tice the, the reunion with the celtics um there was a clip that was floating last night from kg being back in the locker room and when KG, when KG saw Tice, he goes, yeah, I knew that Houston shit wasn't going to work. So that was pretty funny. Um, did you, did you catch that? KG, Zach, I saw, I saw, I saw that clip and I saw him tell Tice, uh, you got to talk more, like talk more trash. Like, like, you, you, podcast, you, you, don't worry. Yeah. He said, you need to talk more shit and stuff like that. It was like, it was kind of funny where I was like, he was like, we need you talking more shit, Tice. <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of dope. I need to touch on that because KG is my favorite player all the time. I've been to every KG Minnesota playoff game. I grew up with them in Minnesota here. So um, what was that energy like before the game? I mean, was it as good as the clips? I mean, I was getting chills watching KG float around and talk his shit and have the time of his life. And um, just watching him get emotional. I was pretty emotional watching it all go down. What was it like for you? I mean, you had a big smile most of the time, it seemed like. so. For sure. As a young guy, I grew up watching KG as well. Like I was like, I, he was his younger career as Minnesota days were before me, but those Celtics days, I remember watching like crazily. And I remember I used to try and be KG back then and like pound my chest, hit my head on the wall, stuff like that. And his tenacity is huge. And that was the same way the crowd was. You could have it sounded like a playoff environment from the tip awesome. last night. So it was one of those things where we wanted to honor him. Uh, so, so, um, Unfortunately, we weren't able to get the win, but I know that he had an incredible time. I know that we did a great, that Wick, the ownership group, as well as his former teammates and the current players did a great job of trying to show, show him and that love and support and that admiration because what he's, what he's done for the game has been incredible. He's like one of those guys that 6'10 was bringing the ball up the court, like had it all and was a dog doing it too telling you exactly to your face like didn't have bark back down from nobody we'll keep it real with you so like it's one of those things that gives you motivation especially moving forward throughout the rest of the year of being like okay like this man this man gave it all for the seeds let's do it let's do the same no absolutely there's not too many people that you can say almost gave 100 percent all 82 games every year he stepped on that court so it's his mentality i mean it's hard to come by and that's what he's always remembered by obviously but um was there a moment last night that you'll always remember you think or was that your first time interacting with kg that was my first time interacting with him so uh he told me he likes my game and stuff like that so that will be always remembered and then also just like the retirement ceremony in general like seeing the banner go up uh talking about how he felt when he when he was going to win the championship like trying to like get there and compete with Kapal, Ray, Rondo, Perg, Baby, like all those guys. And it's just one of those things where like you will remember for a lifetime and you hope that you can get there one day. Like that's the whole goal. Um, I remember when I, for every, since I got to the seas, I would walk up and look at stare at the banners, just like I did in college saying I was going to bring one up. And I didn't, I thought I was one of the first to do it. Next thing you know, you hear KG talk about it. You're like, Oh, I guess not. Uh, I guess KG was, was, the, was the OG and for sure. And that's why I think I, I feel so connected to him because I might not be the most uh, aggressive trash talker, but I feel like that, that competitiveness for the game, I'm trying, I'm trying to get that mentality where, where KG, which is, I don't think anyone can get there, but just <laughs> you know, lift through it. You, you can sure try. I mean, everybody, 
respects people that grind it out on a daily basis and knows how to play defense. So, I mean, your game will always be respected. But uh, one last little detail I want to touch on that game, Roosh, and then you can go here. Um, that shot by Tatum to towards the end of the game, that last three-point shot that um, was challenged, it was issued a non-foul by Luca there. I hate that rule, the high-five rule. Did you know about that rule beforehand? I mean, what yeah, what, what do you I, think I, about that rule? Because I think it impedes a shooter no matter what. I've yeah, I've, I've known about that rule. I remember we challenged one prior in the season, I believe, when I kind of high-fived somebody and they call a foul on it. So uh, you guys it's kind of one of those things where it's like incidental or like how influential it was on the contact. So right. I think it's up to the referees, I guess. But in terms of like the rule changes, I feel like that's left for the guys that aren't, aren't, aren't like, I feel like that's, that's not severe enough to be effective because that shot, like it, I, in my opinion, he did get fouled just because of the, the shot motion, but smart definitely sold it a little bit. So, uh, but we had opportunity after that to, to get two more shots up and get good looks for one of our best players. So, um, looking back at it, like we could have changed the game earlier and that, so it wouldn't have been the case. So, uh, for looking back to that challenge to be the one play, nah, probably wouldn't, but they probably made, like, if you look back at it, probably made the right one. It's tough to blame one play ever. I get that. I mean, can't look at it that way, but I just think it impedes a shooter. I mean, you tell me if somebody is that close to you and he hits your hand, even after you release the ball, I mean, I don't know. How, yeah, how does so that the, impact you? There's tips and tricks to the game. Like, there's a lot of things guys will do. So, like, just like in, in high school when you used to run by and tap your teammate's shoe while you shot, like, just to throw off their their mindset where it's like, oh, crap, like, oh, is he going to foul me or is he not? Same way tapping the hand or, or like, some guys, they might even, like, smack the back of your shoulder or do stuff where it's like, it's already after the shot's done, but now you're thinking about it for the next shot. So, like, some of those things are strategic. Others, like, you kind of, like, but as a shooter, you're just focused on making the shot. That's the number one thing, getting it off without getting it blocked. So at the end of the day, like if you're allowing the, the hand tap to, to affect your shot, shot after it's gone, like you, you can't really focus on it much. Yeah, my biggest issue with all those types of foul calls is just the lack of consistency. Um, calling things by the book is one thing, but I feel like the NBA does a really poor job of, or at least NBA referees do a poor job of contextualizing you know, when something actually affects the play and when it doesn't. And, um, but we won't go into to officiating. We're not going to get grant fined as a result of this podcast. $30,000 fine. That'd be rough. <laughs> Paid for by ball is life. So, um, grant, I wanted to talk to you, man, about individually your season. Uh, this is your third season, I believe in the NBA yes. as a professional, and you're pretty much setting career highs across the board, you know, uh, and you're shooting the shit out of the basketball. You are starting the most games. You started playing the most games or playing the most minutes. I'm sorry uh, that you've been playing, you know, 40, what, 2% from three, seven and a half something points, really starting to solidify your role and, and, you know, earn your keep here in the NBA. So can you kind of speak to, and and also it's, it's interesting for me because it's kind of come in between uh, two, if this was like a Venn diagram, right? Circle one would be young player emerging circle two would be coaching change. And I don't know how much of it overlaps. So um, I just kind of wanted to hear from you personally, like what has gone in to this season being so far your best? Is it a mix of personal growth and coaching? Is there something on the development side that, you know, Ime Odoka has implemented or roster, just anything. Um, And interested to hear your thoughts on your own growth. 
Absolutely. It's definitely a testament to the, the work that I've put in and as well as uh, confidence that coach brings and the ability, like you, I feel like when you get more consistent minutes, consistent opportunity, you're bound to produce if you put in that, that time and that effort. So I remember my first two years, you kind of end out the rotation. You're just trying to like find your way and establish your mark within the league. I remember the first year I had a success. I played well, especially an opportunity that I had. Second year was more up and down, even though I shot the ball decently well at 37 or whatever percent. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like you w- still wasn't that much volume or opportunity. So it's like you're this is like probably the first year that I've been able to like truly have consistent playing time, consistent opportunity, consistent reps. So you're just trying to make best with what you're given. And um, that that offseason programming, whether it was my shooting, working on the, the three point ability as well as just playmaking after if they take me off the line. I feel like that's been huge for my office progression this year and then continually improving on a defensive end, working with my coach in the past, Brandon Bailey, before he was, you know, the Brad staff was gone, as well as Evan Brads. And the guys I worked through throughout the summer, Blake Boringer, uh, Lethal, all, all the guys. Um, it's just a matter of just trying to continue to get better and, and work on the things that I'll be known to be good at throughout the league, hopefully over the course of my career. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to touch on Lethal. You were grinding with him, it looked like. What did you guys focus on exactly? I mean, you went from 25% your rookie year, 37%, now 42% from three this year, and the best fourth quarter shooter in the league, they're saying. I mean, the numbers are saying. Yeah, I was going to say. So, honestly, luckily, I wasn't like a big-time shot mechanics change guy. Like, I wasn't. Like, I remember my, even my rookie year, if I hadn't, if you take out probably that 0 for 25, which is a significant start to the season like what I was that I, like what was, was that say, your rookie year you come in you shoot over 25 like what's going through your head at that point i feel like you're just thinking about like make the next one because like <laughs> I, it's not like you're taking four game or three a game where you have multiple looks so you're bound to like if you only shoot one or two like this is going to keep adding up so i remember i was like dang like have i shot like a uh, maybe I have one attempt and next you know you just missed that one you gotta move on to the next the next game so and after that after you saw that one go in i think i shot like 30 38 plus i think whatever percentage after that I shot 50 something in the playoffs so like they knew i could shoot that's why they never told me to stop it was just a matter of hoping that first one would go down and then from true? that on it's just- is it true bane said something to you at that point in time i read something on stupid uh wikipedia i don't know if that's true but it says on there that Aaron Baines sh- said something to you to inspire Grant Williams, the shooter. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Baines wasn't even... Uh, he probably he probably edited Wikipedia for that shit. I was about to say, maybe the Baines <laughs> Wikipedia is full of shit. Confirmed. Baines fan club probably hit that, uh, did, that did that because... Yes, uh, that that's a real thing. Baines fan club. Yes, it's dope. He's a dope page, though. So I, I, <laughs> if he did that, I wouldn't be mad. But um, yeah, it was just one of those things where... It's about continuing to shoot. Same way, like you go through slumps as a shooter, 
Um, you have ups and downs, like even right now, like I might be considered in a quote slump, but I'm bound to just keep shooting and knowing that the work is going to show and your everything levels back to the, to the mean. So um, it's like, that's what I thought throughout that whole process is I'm a good shooter. I'm going to keep shooting. And now it's just a matter of getting more volume, more opportunity. Is there so, a player real quick, Roosh, is there a player on the team you think that helps you get the best looks? Is there one player that you work off better than anybody else? Uh, I feel like I'm kind of like that guy that kind of works most, but J- you know JT, role, but... the camaraderie, like we, I mean, he kind of knows, knows where I am at most times. And he does a great job of finding me even through double team and stuff like that. So he does a great job of setting me up. Well, um, JB has a great, has done a good job, especially more recently of, of putting me in spots to be successful. So, um, I feel like especially those two guys have the ball in their hands, you know, they're, they're the ones making the, all the plays and opportunities. So everyone else, we kind of like float around and do our jobs, but they've been doing a great job of playmaking, especially, especially over this past couple months. Yeah. So shooting is, is one of my, I mean, it's my favorite part of basketball. Well, that's not true, but I love, I love to talk about it because it's such an emphasis in today's game and efficiency and all this stuff. And I don't think a lot of people that, that have like no experience hooping understand just how it's like about the slimmest of margins, right? It's a rhythm, like a guy like you, right? You started over 25, two years later, you're shooting 42% on two attempts a game, right? Um, so it's really, the it, first season is not, it, it's not like you made this huge leap. It's more so like, in my opinion, there were just, you were missing by the slimmest of margins and then you fixed it and corrected it. So um, two questions, one, and we also recently had Corey Kispert of the Wizards on here and he's a sharpshooter. And he struggled to start the season, and he kind of detailed some of the things that he adjusted um, and then got on track. But two questions. And he got One, better after the show. <laughs> of course. That, that happens to everyone, Grant. So you're about to be averaging 15 a game next season, just, just so you know. But um, so. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But you two will. questions. One, can you talk a little bit deeper about working with Lethal? Because his, his videos are just mesmerizing to me. Like, I've been in a bunch of gyms. I shoot, but I've never seen somebody shoot like that. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and then the second question would be, um, so again, I'm a Rockets guy, right? And a big thing going on with Rockets fans right now is a discussion of Jalen Green getting, not getting enough minutes in garbage time to get kind of his reps and get some focus. And so I wanted to ask you second question, do you think reps and garbage time help fix things like getting out of a shooting slump and getting your rhythm to get that confidence going forward? Um, so the first question, I feel like Lethal does a great job of just keeping you focused. I feel like that's m- more so just the mental aspect of things, being able to understand, like being focused on the ball, just not only just catch the catching of the ball, like the, the intricacies of shooting. And that's why I think he does a great job of is just understanding that each shot is his own shot. So shoot it like it, shoot it. Like if you catch the ball with your right hand, you got to be able to get it right to your spot and be able to knock it down. Same with the left, looking, looking, using your eyes, using your hands, using your feet. So like that's where I feel like we've kind of grown is where we just kind of like different passes, different reads. Like because you're not always going to get the best passing game. Not every pass. People always practice shooting by just getting the best pass with the seams in line, everything like that. You can work on that, yes. And that's kind of probably the basis. But as years go on, like you see JJ Reddick, he's coming off the screens and that ball might be above his head and he starts shooting. Same with Clay Thompson, all the best shoes. Do, do you practice catching it like out of the pocket, like off on your hip or whatever? Things yeah, like absolutely. That, so, even, even in my pregame routine, you have good passes and you have two good passes and I have the, like a terrible pass. You might throw it at my shins or you might throw it at like high in the air just to like a slow pass. Next thing you know, you're expecting to come at this pace. Next thing you know, it comes, you have to wait for the, go grab the ball and shoot it. So like that's 
that's all things you got to work on as a shooter. And then in regards to the second, in terms of garbage time, um, I was in a position where I was like, I didn't play garbage time much, which is weird to say because like I was in the, I was somewhat in the rotation, but I also was somewhat like not playing my first two years. So it was one of those things where it's like, we can't really play Grant in the garbage time. Cause he might play tomorrow. He might play 20 plus minutes. So like, in my opinion, I feel like the best reps come in the live action game, but not necessarily because sometimes garbage time is just like guys barely playing defense, like barely, like you don't really see guys playing full coverage, like, and, or it's just not the same basketball that you would play in a regular game scenario. So like, I feel like Jalen's whole thing would be, is just like continue to the beginning of games and in, in the middle are, are the most important sectors. Because if you put him in with those last couple of minutes, you're playing against the third or fourth group that typically doesn't maybe not practice with team or have the same coverages or used to playing at a certain way inside main compared to, or like say arguably team with Maine, the Celtics versus the, the, Boston Celtics and you have a different, I guess it's a different feel. So um, I think garbage time helps in terms of like, maybe understand like the defensive side of the ball in terms of like, all right, now this is the pace people play. You're running, you can, you can get in front of them. But offensively, I feel like it's always about, about like you want to play against the best players and best defenders. So like, I think that's what guy like Cade has done a great job of this year is like in the beginning, he struggled. And as time is going on, you've seen that he's been way more paceful. He's been way more consistent. And He's been able to use, but he's also a little bit more different just because of his body makeup. Jalen's probably going to put on probably 20 plus pounds in the next year and a half, two years. And his, he'll be more, he's still what, 18, 19 years old. So um, as rushful as the process may be, sometimes it's just like, all right, let this guy develop. And he's been, had some incredible nights, incredible games. So I think that as time goes on, he'll start feeling the flow of the game, understanding exactly where his shots are going to come from, exactly what it's going to be like. Because I look at Zach Levine, similar to that of Jalen Green, where Zach, his first couple of years, he was a streaky scorer. But then next year, you know, he gets to, all-star capabilities in a matter of like four or five years. So it's dope to see. Yeah. A lot of fans like to rush the process and put these guys in a boomer bust right off the bat rookie year. And that's what, that's what my least favorite part about the NBA and fandom is the instant gratification. Everybody just expects things right away. And if you look at your career, I mean, it's just all coming with opportunity. I mean, you're growing with your opportunity and um, your stable minutes is the big thing. You're up to 24 a game now. Um, and it's even just consistency throughout the year, like you noted earlier. But um, what's next for you? And then we'll we'll get you out of here after a couple more. I know we're coming up on time, but what what's next for your career here? I mean, do you think it's just growing in this role? You know what you're you're going to be going forward, or do you think you have a lot more to give? I feel like I have a lot more to give. It's one of those things where I feel like you work night in and night out to to continually improve. So I think right now I'm known as a kind of the three point shooter defender versatile guy that can guard one through five like and then you kind of be more of a ball player rather than just a shooter it's like now it's like okay you close out on him he's blew by your closeout making the right read okay now you can't close out as hard unless you know splashing your face all right now it's like okay we closed out in the right way he made the right dribble move maybe went to a handoff fake handoff or he's involved in actions like pick and pop so i feel like there's a lot of improvement because right now it's more spot up and off action and be the receiver. And then there's guys that are like the playmakers where you're now in the action, you can screen, you're in the short role, you're making the passes, you're making the reads as well as doing the stuff that you normally do. So I feel like that's kind of next steps is um, that. And I think that's probably next year because especially with the role I have on this team and everything else, you kind of 
are focusing on what it takes to win now. And then next year I'll continue to work and continue to show the, the ability that I have. And I think as trust grows, email will continue to trust me. And uh, I'm excited just to see how, how the progression looks. You definitely can guard one through five, but what's the, what's the hardest position for you to guard? Do you think where do you got to go um, the most? Probably one, just because shifty, like not one as in like bigger ones, like the, like the Hardens or guys of that nature. It's more so like the Darius Garland and like the CJ McCollum shifty or guys, shifty, like time, like smaller, quick like twitch. Quicker, quick twitch. Cause you can be jumpy at times, especially if they can shoot. They can't shoot. They're pretty much, they're pretty easy to guard just because you can back up, give them space, like versus like the ones who can really are dynamic and pull up from deep, but also kind of pull up, get you in the mid range floaters, like the trays of the world. Like you just have to do a good job of staying square. So that's where I've improved. I feel like throughout the year. And I think I guard, I think every position at percentage wise, the same amount, like I think it's like 20% each, each position. And I do a good solid, I think it's like the sixth most versatile defender or something like that. So I just try my best to continually improve on that side of the ball as well as on offense. So you're more impactful against Embiid right now than you are Steph Curry, you'd say? I, I feel like, yeah, because I, I did, Embiid's probably a tough example just because he's probably impossible to guard one-on-one right. by anyone. But um, for, yeah, definitely the normal five. Those are like the two the, extremes. Yeah, the two extremes. The two extremes, I feel like, Running around chasing staff on those screens probably isn't is my virtue yet versus guarding and banging is probably the thing that I'm, I'm probably better at right now. So we'll get a couple more questions in here just off the court, and then we'll, we'll get you on your way. And again, thank you for your time. We appreciate it, man. Um, so let me ask you, y'all got the Warriors on Wednesday night uh, on ESPN, by the way. So Tuesday night, you're in the Bay, you're in your hotel, wherever you're at. What does Grant Williams do? on the road, chilling night before the game when there's no team obligations or anything? Like, what, what is your, you know, your nightly outlook? Right. Nowadays, it's kind of working a little bit of both, like, learning and also kind of just, do, like, de-stressing. Like, whether it's playing video games, like, playing freaking Pokemon, Arceus on my Switch a lot, like, stuff of that nature where you're able to just relax or watch YouTube and something like that. Outside of that, now I have Duolingo where I'm trying to teach myself French. Like I just started that what last week or so. So was working, working that to hopefully get another language in. And then um, just a kind of mix of variety of things. Maybe you go to dinner with a teammate or maybe you go with like friends that you have in the area. So um, it's just a matter of trying to take your mind off the day before so you can focus on the day after because when the game days come you're you want to be locked in the full course are you a foodie at all like when you go to different cities are you like looking for food specific to the city and exploring or do you just kind of have does is that like not really on your plate on your agenda see i'm a foodie i feel like i take advantage of that more in the summer than i do in like the season but at the same time like if there's a good restaurant or if no for a certain thing yeah i definitely try to take advantage like myself like we we always kind of get a good group together and find a nice restaurant to go to whether it's like something personal to the to the city or something that we all know is good so um i definitely in that group myself like it's a lot of younger guys too like myself luke cornett Aaron Neesmith, Peyton, Daniel Tice, Derek White. Like we have those guys. And I also could go with Al. Al's been on with us a lot of times. And then Smart. Like we, really the whole team can kind of get together and just like, we'll just text in the group, like who wants to go get food? And next you know, we'll go to a nice dinner, a nice spot and spend some time, drink some wine, kick it and chill. Man, <clears throat> um, what's the favorite spot in Boston? I lived there for three and a half years and 
went to grad school there, so I tried to get back. But what, do you have a favorite spot yet? Or right, so like I like there's Empire in Seaport's nice little Asian yeah, spot, that's pretty good. Um, there's definitely a couple spots like in the North End, so like Aria, Tortoria, and um, like Ricardis and Strega. Like we go to those often. Um, there's like I just bounce around. Honestly, I try what. Like I still have a lot of ways to explore Boston. There's places in Roxbury. I remember this is Jake. I have a Jamaican spot. It's really good. Forget the name of it right now. Love a it. Jamaican like, spot in Boston. Yeah, it's in okay. it's in Dorchester. Okay, noted. Good stuff. So let's finish up with this. I mean, you're a big college basketball guy. You had a successful college basketball career. You're repping it now. It seems like you post a lot about it on social media. So. Tennessee seems to have a pretty tight-knit um, alumni, um, or it's growing with Rick Barnes doing a good job, Roosh. Um, with that said, uh, how, how much do you believe in this current team? Like, what are, your, what are your expectations? I'm a Kansas guy, so I always say Elite Eight is our, my expectation. Anything more is a bonus. I'm disappointed if it's anything less than Elite Eight, but we're, we're the Elite. So what, what's it like down in uh, Tennessee? Hey, man, I, I was only fortunate enough to get to be 16, so I'm trying to put that that level on them because I think they have the opportunity to do it, and mm-hmm. as well as going further because this team, like they always say, guards is what takes you to the promised land in March, and we have three dynamic ones, Santiago, Kennedy, and, and um, Zakai, and each one of them has done a great job of leading us throughout the year, and then you have veteran leadership at Folky, who's been there for six years since I was there, you have like the young guys and Gup and um, Burosh and physicality. So I think we're, we're built for this time of the year. So now it's just a matter of executions. And I feel like this team can really like go far and deep into the playoff and playoffs and March Madness because they're built for it. And I, I think they'll do better than kind of what my team did in, in, in my years. Cause you didn't necessarily have a guard play as what you're in city. No, we had the guard play. We had Jordan Ooh. bone. We had, Oh yeah. Monty bone was better. Yeah, but so we had it, but I feel like this team is built through their guards, which other teams are built through their bigs. And like I was playing through the post with the ball in my hands. To me, those teams aren't the ones that go deep into the playoffs just because like sometimes the pace of the game changes. Like Carson Edwards beat us. Cause not because necessarily they were the better team or better. It's just oh, they how just caught fire. That was an insane. This goes, you know, like you, for some reason, that's why they always say guards, 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 rather than playing through your post. Like Iowa didn't make it far with Luca Garza. Like you have teams, you look back and you're like, dang, that Virginia team was all guards. They didn't have, they weren't playing through their post post team. Like, so I always bet against the teams that are like post dominant. So like, I'm, I might bet against Duke this year. I might bet against like, I do have some guards. But they still pick the Palo. So I might bet against Duke. I might bet against like the who else is one of those? Nah, Jabari Smith. Nice. I can't bet against Auburn. And I love Bruce Pearl. But um So who's your final four? My final four? Ooh, yeah, I gotta think that yet? I don't have the bracket set up, but if I were to no think worries. uh I I wanna see say Tennessee makes it just because I don't love. So that's out of the South. So that means we beat Arizona and Villanova. So they're out of there. Uh so Tennessee. Auburn, uh, Gonzaga. So I think Gonzaga is the one that comes out of the Duke Gonzaga series. And then um, Tennessee, Auburn, Gonzaga. That's all top seeds. I got to go underdog in the next one. I'll say whatever the underdog would be in that, in that region. I, I feel like, like Iowa. I, t- I like Iowa this year. 
Yeah, I was about to say, I take whoever's the underdog in that region. For some reason, all those three other teams, I feel like will make it. This region, I think it's – so I got the south. I have the – what are we? West, I believe, or, some, or east or something like that. And then Gonzaga's west. Three in the south. Yeah, so we'll be in the south. Um, Gonzaga will be in the west. Or what are they? What region are they? I got it right here. Gonzaga would be the top Gonzaga. one. Gonzaga. That's that Minnesota yep. shit. Gonzaga. Kisper was <laughs> drilling me on that. Yeah. Gonzaga. Yeah, Kisper was like, what the fuck are you talking about? They'll so, be West. What's going to be? So who's that fourth pick? Who's, who's the other bracket? So the Midwest is Kansas is the one seed. Kansas. I was about to say, I'm going to all top seeds this year because I love Ochai Babaji. Dude. Ochai. His growth has been so special year by so year. Grant is going to pander to Zach and pick Kansas. Okay. Yeah, I'm right. Noted. All I'll say is this. Um, I was, I'm, I might have the year wrong, but I'm pretty sure I was a junior at the University of Texas. I think it was 2009, 2010. We went 17 and 0. We were number one in the country. We were smashing boys. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Kansas State. It was either Kansas State or Nebraska threw a zone, at, a 2 3 zone at Rick Barnes. And that man had no clue what to do. And that season crashed and they ended up getting bounced in the first round of the tournament. And I will never in my life forget that. I watched a lot of Rick Barnes basketball at Texas, many complaints. I'll save some of them for this show, but, but I'll just never forget that. I remember thinking, yo, you're Rick Barnes and you can't handle the two, three. That's, that's insane. Um, but he's probably grown since then. I, about to say, I think it's been, it's been enough years. I feel like he got 15 years later, bro. I remember in the summer, he spent the summer with like the Utah jazz, like coaching staff. It was this big, you know, thing that he did to learn some adjustments. And I just, in my head, I remember I was, like 20 or 21, just thinking like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Hit Let me, me just up. say LeBron, LeBron struggled with the zone in that Dallas series. So he, he, exactly. he learned, he learned well enough how to pick it apart. That's a good point. That's, that's an that's like, intelligent. Like, I'll, I'll grant you that. So Grant Grant went over 25 to start his career. I mean, come on. It was just yeah. crazy. I mean, they had so much talent and they were thumping teams and then boom, two, three zone. Couldn't even pop it. Couldn't have no one to flash the middle. Yeah. Damian James. Anyways. So, um, last question. We ask everybody this grant. And again, thank you for your time. Wonderful conversation. We appreciate you. And I'm rooting for this. Jason Tatum's my guy. So I am rooting for the Celtics. And um, my son's name is Boston. There you go. Oh, no. And so little Bo Noble. So we ask every single person that comes on this. Last week we asked Cassidy and it got a little sentimental. So I'll modify the question just a little bit to, to make it clear. Um, you can go to dinner with three people, dead or alive, doesn't matter. Um, we'll try to not use family members. Um, so anyone not a family member, dead or alive, you go to dinner with three people. Who are you choosing and why? All, all at the same table, by the way. And don't worry, everyone takes a second to, to think about this. Everyone pauses and thinks. I got to go with, so, I got to go with, I feel like the goats in each industry, you know, the Michael Jordan. Uh, okay. Hmm. This is the next one. Robert Smith for me. He's he's a very influential black businessman. Uh, he's probably gonna be the first black business owner to own an NFL team. So I feel like he's he's another one. Okay. There's, there's a lot of Robert Smith. So what uh, what's his industry? He's he an NFL uh, owner. Yeah, he'll, he'll end up being an NFL. Not owner. yet he, though. Hedge. He he's basically does hedge funds. Okay. And work. Yeah. There we go. Tech industry. And um, who would be my third? I want to, do I want to mute entertainment or do you want to? Go I'm sure to him and MJ know each other somewhere. Barack, probably Barack. I was going to say back yeah. to back, but they're all, you don't want to pick anyone who's 
deceased? You don't have to. Uh, I'm pretty good with the ones that are alive. Yeah. I feel like okay. that's my third. MJ, Robert Smith, President Barack Obama. That's, that's good. That is a that's pretty influential solid. and wealthy table. And just to confirm, Michael Jordan is your GOAT. Well, Michael Jordan is my GOAT, yes. Did he stutter? Absolutely, he did not. And that's the correct call. All respect to LeBron, of course. Um, All respect. I feel like there's one A, and he's like a one B. One by, C. That's <laughs> exactly what I say. It's one A and one B. I and agree then, with that. But it's one A for sure. You can, it goes Jesus, black Jesus. You know, it's like one of those. <laughs> You got yeah, it, what you about got Anthony it. Edwards, the new black Jesus? I don't know if he has that nickname for any means. Hey, no, he actually declared himself black Jesus just a couple I was weeks about ago. About to say, Zach, you need. I'll have to he send, send you that clip, Grant. It's his hilarious. character is hilarious, and I feel like I wouldn't expect anyone else to say that. No, um, he's got to be. Do you think he's one of the best characters in the league right now? Oh yeah, he's definitely a goofball. He's definitely one of the ones that you you every interview I want to be tuned in because he could say something that could be like the one the quote for the year. Oh, it's 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 legendary. We're blessed in Minnesota to have him. And Grant, appreciate you, man. You went the distance. I hope we didn't go too long with you, but uh, really appreciate you breaking things down. And really excited for you guys to continue growing and peaking here. Uh, we're big Celtics supporters here, so um, yeah. Hopefully, you guys make a run and things are opening up for you. So. Keep finding, keep finding those gaps and pull this thing through. Yeah, yes, man. Sir. Make a run. Thanks, Grant. We, uh, so we put an episode out today with Cassidy Hubbard, and so we will most likely get this out next week for those listening. Um, and we'll shoot it over to you and your team. And, you know, we appreciate your time, man. Hopefully we get a chance to sit down and do this again. So go Celtics, and thank you. Thank you. I love it. Thanks for having me on, y'all. Yeah, be appreciate well. it, man. Have a good day. Go, go Tennessee. Go Vols. Damn sick.